If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. This may not at first seem like it would be a Christmas emphasis sermon, but it does have some application in that direction. For those of, uh, of, those of you who are uh, new to our church, we, uh, we normally do uh, a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and so we are continuing in this uh, kind of a broad scope of studying through Ezra, and then we, if you'll remember, took a break uh, at Ezra 6. There's about a 60-year to 100-year period of time between Ezra 6 and 7, where Esther fits in. We will come back after Esther, finish Ezra, then go to the end of Old Testament history, uh, the book of Nehemiah. We're not going to read this right now. We'll read it as we walk through it. I hope you have your sermon outline in front of you, and we will be walking through it. First thing I want to do is to pray. I want to just uh, mention several different things. I did mention this already, uh, praying for the people, particularly in Kentucky. I think that was one of the hardest hit areas last night in one town, totally devastated. Saw pictures of that this morning and um, over 100 people killed. And so it's it, it just a, a, a huge thing. And in light of today's sermon, you may be wondering how this all fits, but it does. So we do want to pray for them. And then just a couple of uh, uh, people I want to recognize. Mark Dittmer is back with us from uh, Mexico and got a chance to talk with him. Where are you, Mark? Are you in here? Back there. And uh, we have been giving to the Kingdom Kids Christmas Fund. They uh, put together 20,000 20, backpacks, distributed those to pastors. They haven't been able to do this for the last couple of years. Those pastors will be taking those backpacks into the jungles and uh, sharing the gospel with a multitude of people. So, Mark, glad you're back with us. I think he said they're about halfway to their goal. So I know some of you got the information about that. You may still plan on giving and we, we want to help them along the way with that. And uh, so I just wanted to mention Mark being back with us and the progress of the backpack uh, activity. And then Sam Karui. Where are you, Sam? Dugu? Dugu Yangu. Sam is back with us. He went to Kenya to visit family. And uh, I told him his face was radiant this morning. It really was. It still is. You can see right there. And uh, so, Sam, it's good to have you back with us. We prayed for you and uh, look forward to hearing about what God accomplished in you and through you in the days ahead. Again, let's pray, and then we'll jump right into our study of Esther chapter 6. Father, oh God, how I pray that you would be, um, we know you're here. We don't ask for you to be present because you're already here. The power of your Holy Spirit that lives inside each of us, you've given us your word, we hold either in our laps with a paper Bible or perhaps a, an electronic device, but it, it's your word, and we ask that you, by the power of your spirit, take your word, teach us truth, and help us to apply it. Lord, we need it now more than ever, I sense, and so we pray that you would do that. Help me as I preach, help all of us as we hear and listen, 
And we will give you all of the glory and all of the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who have been here, I want your help through this study. How is everything going? Okay, say it with me. Everything is going according to plan. Even when times are dark, even when so-called acts of God, natural tragedies happen, even when evil kings ascend to power and the enemies of God's people plot and devise plans for the destruction of God's people. Now, we've already kind of laid the broad review of the story of Esther, and today we come to a a time where we're going to shift a little bit. This is, as I hope you see, really a pivotal part of the, the entire story of Esther. The secondary characters, I emphasize the word secondary, the secondary characters in the story are Esther, obviously, the book is named after her, Mordecai, her cousin who was raising her, Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes, and then, kids, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks, there was the evil, wicked villain, Haman. All right. Now, if some of you are wondering what's going on, I shared several weeks ago that the Feast of Purim, that the Jews still celebrate to this day, whenever Esther is read and the name, you don't have to do it now, the name Haman comes up, all of the kids and all of the adults, they boo and they hiss and they have these things called groggers and they noisemakers to drown out the name of Haman. And he is one of the secondary characters. I said secondary. Who is the primary character in the book of Esther? God. Even though his name is not mentioned, God is sovereign. Even when his name is not mentioned, either by the the saints or by the sinners. Now, by sovereign, we said before that that simply means that God has the power and the authority to do what he wants to do, to do what he plans to do. And then we defined providence. That is a word that we've used throughout this study. Divine providence, if sovereignty, the sovereignty of God means that God has the power and the authority to do what he plans to do, then his providence, God's providence, means the steps that he takes to make sure that his plans happen. Let me just ask you this, and, and, and I am, I'm experiencing how this comes to bear on my life every day. I hope that you understand what this means for your life. When you have a, maybe you had some of these last week, when you have a due to circumstances beyond our control event or week or longer, or if you have a it just so happened kind of moment, do you automatically think like this? Do the words automatically come to your mind 
Everything is proceeding according to plan. On Wednesday morning, I walked into my office. Normally, I finish my coffee at home. This time, I had a cup from home that was three-quarters full. I set it down on my desk, got my computer out, opened my computer, and reached over and inadvertently, I had all my notes out, and inadvertently knocked over my coffee cup, not only onto all of my notes, but also partially onto my computer. It was one of those, it just so happened, kind of moments, and I caught myself. Rather than say my most often used expletive is, oh my goodness, I thought to myself, can I apply what I've been preaching to a spilt cup of coffee? And then kind of expanding it out, knowing that there are people in this congregation who are dealing with a lot more than a spilt cup of coffee. And people in this world. And so I stopped before I did anything else. And I said, Lord, I do not understand it, understand it but everything is truly proceeding according to plan. I cleaned up the mess. My computer still worked thankfully. And see, the fact about it is that nobody was in there, nobody was watching, but God may very well choose you, just like he chose Mordecai and Esther to be a part of his plan. And remember this, and some of you who haven't been, been here, this is by way of review, but you've got to understand this as a follower of Christ. Even, listen, even if you balk, as Esther did, in chapter 4, she balked when God's plan was revealed to her through her cousin slash adoptive father, Mordecai. She balked. And he told her this. He said, you know what? If you keep silent at this time, if you don't do anything, if you back off, if you shrink back, relief and deliverance will rise from, for the Jews from another place. And so you, you run through the first banquet in chapter 5, and here we are at a different place. And Esther's plan, her counter plot to Haman's evil planning to destroy the Jews, and with it the, the, the hope of the promised Messiah, deliverance would come indeed. Even though she did what she was supposed to do, it would come from another place. And that's what we're going to see. And by the way, if you'll remember at the end of last week's message in chapter 5, things didn't get better. They got worse after the banquet. And that's when not only the, the entire population of Jews in the world, you got to get a picture of this. There, there has... Well, one case, and we'll talk about this maybe in another sermon, one case of an absolute total genocide. That's what Haman was going after. So it was dark before that. And then at the end of chapter 5, things got a lot darker because Haman now concocted a plan based on the advice of his wife and his friends, so-called, 
why don't you just go ahead and kill Mordecai right now? And so they concocted the plan to do that. Okay, let me just stop. Okay, this is a sermon. We always want to be interactive with what the, the pastor is preaching wherever we are. But do you, do you really believe that God is in control of your life? Just remind you of a couple of verses that they indicate that He is. And we tend to generalize this. This fits into our theology. Sometimes when it boils down to the application, it's a little bit more difficult, like the spilt cups of coffee and the other things that happen in our lives and Him. We, look at this. This is for the covenant people of God. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, that is God, who does what? He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And why does He do that? Because He has a plan and a purpose for you. We know, Paul says, that for those who love God, and that all things work together for good, for our good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, there's that word again, to be conformed to the image of His Son. And as we begin to open up this chapter, here's what you're going to see. And not for a story that happened some 2,500 years ago, but for your life. God's timing is always stunningly perfect. God keeps His promises. It doesn't matter if an evil, wicked ruler, the prime minister of all of Persia, puts together a plan, the king ratifies it, to abolish all of the Jews and thereby the coming Messiah. God is going to see to it that His plans will be accomplished. Fast forward 500 years, give or take. God's timing is always perfect. Do you think that in, in Bethlehem, the event that we are celebrating at this season of the year, do you think that that was all just an accident or circumstantial? No. God had a timing involved. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then we go to Romans 5, 6, from the beginning of Jesus' life, by the way, the, the timing of his death was absolutely perfect too. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, chapter 6 of Esther is all about God. The whole book is all about God. By the way, the whole Bible is really all about God. So, let's jump in and see it. You, you, you see what I've done in the, uh, the titles of the different, uh, on, on the outline? Uh, I'm using what, what people would commonly say uh, was the, the circumstance in, uh, in what went on in chapter 6. So the first step is this, chapter 6, verse 1, the first part of that. It just so happened that the king couldn't sleep. Let me read it to you. On that night, night the king could not sleep. 
And you're saying, really? I hope you pick up on something for your life. This could be almost overlooked. God is at work in the seemingly insignificant and random things in your life. You think of it, despite having all of the power and the resources of the Persian army at his disposal to destroy the Jews, Haman's carefully laid plans were going to be reversed. And this is the pivot point. Are you getting that? The pivot point is a guy that couldn't get to sleep. Unbelievable! Except we see God all over it. What kept the king awake? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Did he have too much rich food at Esther's banquet? He just finished with that. Was he thinking about, man, that was a great, that was just great. Esther looked great and the food was good and Haman was, he, he was on target with all of his stuff and uh, so did that keep him awake? Th there was one commentator who said, now remember, if you go back to chapter 5, Haman that night was building the gallows and you remember Gallows is not the accurate translation. It, it's translated like that in many of the Bibles. But the literal word is stake. A 75-foot high skewer. A big pole sharpened on the end. And his plan was that morning to put Mordecai on it. Maybe it was the construction of that. I don't know. Maybe they found a tree that was 75 feet tall and they just happened to fashion it. But whatever, maybe the noise, we just simply don't know. But here's what we do know. That in the darkness of that hour, and I'm not just talking about the physical darkness of night. I'm talking about the moral and the spiritual darkness. God stepped in just like he did 500 years later when Christ was sent to the earth. Luke 1 tells us this, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. And, and, and he's still giving light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Haman's murderous plot was moving forward to wipe out the line of the Messiah. I, I, I don't know, I, this last week I thought, well, do I, since we're doing a Christmas emphasis today, do I just do kind of a Christmas sermon, and I went through this, and I thought, oh my goodness, look at all of the parallels. Haman's murderous plot, 500 years later, was there another Haman-like leader who also had a murderous plot to wipe out the line of the Messiah? Yes, his name was Herod. And when he was tricked, was fooled by the Magi, they didn't return 
Then he sent to Bethlehem and had all of the children, the men, the boy children, under the age of two killed. So God is at work in your darkest times. He walks with you through them. He might not speak to you like the angel spoke to Joseph. But it's amazing how that at night, sleeplessness, those insignificant random times, God often directs our paths. Let's read the next part of this. We're going slowly at first. We'll speed up in a few minutes. But the next part of this in verse 1, the second part of the verse, it just so happened that he chose, that is the king, chose to read a history book. Are you kidding me? And he gave orders to bring, now stop right there. The king of Persia was the most powerful man in the world. He had everything at his disposal. He could have had anything he wanted to put him to sleep. And what did he choose? To bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles. He chose a history book and they were brought before the king. Now, some might say he was pretty smart. If you, if you really want... If you, if you can't sleep, you got a problem sleeping, then find the most boring book that you can and let it put you to sleep. You might want to turn on one of my sermons. <laughs> Not that it's putting you to sleep, but there is a cadence about the spoken word. And some of you are going, yeah, you're right. But he chose a history book and yet, was it really his doing? Now, think about this. God is sovereign. He moves in his providential ways. He doesn't, he doesn't impose his will on our choices. Now, that's for a whole other subject. But we are free to choose within certain boundaries. And so, that's what we see. Blessed be the Lord the God of our fathers who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Here we see that beautiful relationship of God's sovereignty and man's choice. And it works together so that he picks a history book. Not only that, let's move on. The next couple of verses. It just so happened that the servants who brought the history book read the story of Mordecai saving the king. It was found how Mordecai had told about Big Bethana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, and this is a historical point that you don't want to miss, Persian kings honored those who were loyal to them. They had to. Because so many people were against them. So many plots would be hatched. They were eager to honor those who would be loyal to them. So the king said, almost in horror, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? This was five years ago. The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Being overlooked 
was a part of God's well-woven plan. This didn't happen in ancient Persia. And so, as I said, almost horrified, the king said to himself, he's been overlooked? Then, then I need to know what to do. It's been five years, and I'm not sure what to do. I need someone that I know well who can give me counsel, who can give me advice so that I can do the right thing. Let's go to verse 4 and the next part of the outline. It just so happened, ha, that Haman was in the right, could we say the wrong, place at the right, could we say the wrong time. Listen to this. The king said, who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the stake or gallows that he had prepared for him. Get a picture of this. He's coming in to get permission to kill Mordecai, the guy that the king just found out saved his life. Verse 5, and the king's young men said, Haman's here, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, by the way, there is so much humor, really, in this. And part of it is just, I hate to use the word, the stupidity, the moral stupidity of, of Haman. Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than moi? <laughs> Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, and he was, listen to this, Haman didn't want to just be like the king, he wanted to be the king. And the best way he could pull that off, don't just give me some new clothes, king, don't just give me a new horse to ride Give me your clothes that you have worn. What? Look at this. Let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the horse, the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Mordecai would have fit that. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. I wish I could have been there to see Haman's face. Don't you? Then the king said to Haman, Here's Haman, before these words, Hurry! Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew. Now, by the way, Haman did not do that. Because Haman, how did he get to the place he got to? He was a master of duplicity. 
I don't think the king ever saw any kind of change in his face. He was probably thinking to himself, how do I get myself out of this? So Haman took the robes, verse 11, and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming, it's out of Haman's mouth, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So being overlooked, five years, five years went by. Has, any, has anybody in this room ever been overlooked? Have you felt overlooked? Anybody? Felt like that, that maybe just a little bit of recognition? I'm not talking about just in a job. Sometimes it happens in a family. Five years went by. I, I don't know all that Mordecai was thinking during those days. But I know what it says to us. God's timing is perfect. And he was weaving this plan to demonstrate his sovereignty and his providence. By the way, there are a couple of verses that I thought of when I, you think of Haman, a man full of wrath. He, he just wanted to, he was murderous. And God said, I'll take that. See, sometimes we think that only our, the, the, the good things in the world are the things that honor God. God is going to use everything. Surely the wrath of man will praise you. Haman personified the warning. Let me give you a couple of warnings. Not that anybody in here is like Haman. By the way, do you feel like that Haman was really deserving of what he got? Yep. Are we deserving of what outside of Christ we will get? Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil in their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, or at least they try to because it is in the power of their hand, or so Haman thought. And then we shared this verse last week. Think about it. Whoever digs a pit, and that, that is digging a pit with, with harmful intentions for someone else, and that, that can be a, a pit that you dig in your mind. Anybody ever done that? Somebody has wronged you. Somebody has hurt you. You don't do it outwardly. Duplicity. But inside your own mind and heart, you're digging a pit to throw that person into and punish them maybe in your own mind. Watch out because God says you dig that pit, you'll fall into it. And a stone, if you're pushing that stone to fall on them, guess what? It's, it's going to be too heavy. It's going to roll back on you. And I believe that we see these, these prophecies, these promises beginning to take shape Haman is going to be absolutely crushed, he and his family. By the way, I'll just give you a little bit of a jump into the next week or so. But the prophecy that all of the Amalekites, the hateful enemies of God, will be dealt with is going to be accomplished. So, I almost titled this, 
that this is the beginning of Haman's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But I didn't. Let's go on to the last one. Okay. What's a guy like Haman going to do? Oops. Let's pull that back for a minute. Okay, so Mordecai returned to the king's gate. This stuns me. Mordecai had been overlooked. Now he, he, he gets led through the city. What would Haman have done with that? No telling. What did Mordecai do? Boy, this is a lesson. He went back to his job. Okay, so I, so I won the game. So I, I, I get led around on a horse and I get to ride in the new car or whatever the case may be. And when the time was over, he said, yep, I got work to do, the king's work. And he went back to the gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. Haman told his wife, Zeresh, you remember her from last week? Bad advice. Ladies, give good advice, but make sure that it's timely. She actually, and all his friends, everything he told them, everything that had happened to him, then his wise men, you understand they weren't called that before, now they're called wise men because they do give good counsel. They actually are wise. And his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, which he is, before whom you have begun to fall is Jewish people, then you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And it wasn't a heartbeat between the last of their words leaving their lips and the guards coming in to take Haman to the second bank banquet with Xerxes and Esther. So I've titled this, it just so happened that Haman discovered too late that you cannot successfully oppose God's people. That is a truism that we forget. Nothing is over going to overcome God's people. Nothing. Psalm chapter 2 says it like this. Why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, Jesus and you can just include his covenant people in that group. You, God, shall break them with a rod of iron. It should be break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Folks, not all of the Pharaohs in the world, not all of the, the, the Hamans in the world, not all of the Herods in the world and all of the rulers currently ruling who conspire against the Lord and against His anointed will be able ultimately to win. They will someday be brought to justice 
into ruin. I, I love this. I did, it didn't make it into the quotes because I saw it after I turned the quotes in to Mary on Thursday. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said this, I consider the ungodly as saws and hammers in the hand of the Lord. So far as they are his instruments, they will succeed. So far as they are his instruments, they will succeed, but not an inch further. Their wrath shall praise him and be subservient to his designs. Write down this reference. You need it. Because there will come a time, if it hasn't already, when you will feel like all of the forces of hell have been unleashed on maybe you personally or your family or your church or, or any other group, your nation. See, this is a promise for the covenant people of God. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you will confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. I want you to think of those insignificant, random events in your life that have brought you to the place where you are. I had a friend back in college who literally was walking across the campus, looked down, and saw a yellow little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. He was not a believer, and he picked it up and he read it. And he read it all the way to class, and he read it all the way through class, and he read it after class. And through that, the random thing of, why was he walking that way that day, and why did somebody drop? Was it on purpose? Did it fall out of their backpack? A seemingly insignificant and random event, and he came to know Jesus. Jan was sitting under a hairdryer in Colorado on a ski trip and thinking about the words that the speaker had said. She'd been out all day skiing, but the speaker had talked about Christ and how you can come to know Jesus. And she didn't know that as a high school sophomore. Her, her parents had been sharing since they became Christians when she was in the eighth grade. But on that night, the Holy Spirit worked in her life and she became a follower of Christ, a seemingly random event. You can't get saved sitting. A, some of you don't even know what I'm picturing when I say sitting under a hairdryer. It's how old we are. Or take a young man, a college junior, who grew up in church and heard the gospel and heard the preacher preach week after week after week and rejected it. Laying on a waterbed, literally on a dead end street. And the name of the street was Stone Street. That's not just where I was. 
that was who I was. And God the Holy Spirit brought back the words preached. And I cried out to God and said, God, save me from this life that I'm living. It, it wasn't even really a cry to be saved from hell, but the hell that I was living, and I knew it. Random event that can bring the word of transformation. Listen, folks, I quoted Psalm 2 a minute ago. This is the answer. What's the answer to the wrath of God that's going to come someday in fullness? Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed, look at this last phrase, are all who take refuge in Him. I said a minute ago, Haman's wife and friends finally please hear this, gave him good advice. It doesn't match the saying, too little, too late. It was enough. Their advice was right on target. The problem was, it was too late. Too late for Haman because he was already so sewn up in his rebellion against God. Never too late. If he had repented, I don't know what God would have done, but he would have done something. And my prayer is that during a message that is on a Sunday when we kind of throw open our hearts to the whole Christmas season, that there would not be one person who would not understand your perilous position outside of Christ, if indeed you are who would not understand that you are a sinner and you deserve to perish an eternity apart from God in hell. But that Jesus was sent to Bethlehem who grew to be a man, a perfect man, who died on Calvary's cross in the place of sinners like you and me. That's enough information. Please, I beg of you, Don't be like Haman and walk out of this place unrepentant. Kiss the Son. Reach out to the Son. Repent of your sins. Know that Jesus will forgive because of the finished work on the cross. His blood will cleanse every sin. Would you do that today? So that it won't be too late you. Father, I thank you and praise you for the, the story of Esther and really it's the story of you, our mighty God, moving in the hearts of people in these insignificant seemingly and seemingly random ways. God, everyone who is in this room, it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence that they came on this exact day. I pray, oh God, that if there is any here today who does not know Jesus, that you would begin this good work. You would stir up their conscience to realize 
their own sin and how it can be forgiven by believing in and trusting in and following Jesus Christ and turning away from sin. So, Father, help us now as we respond in these moments. Help us to do more than sing. Help us to be looking to you during these moments. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.